Hello and welcome to this uh, Sonic Talk special. We're very pleased to have a special guest. Uh, it's a one-on-one kind of thing. Uh, and that is Mr. Eric. I didn't I didn't ask how to pronounce your name. Eric Mouquet. I'm guessing that's about right. Perfect. Eric Mouquet. Hello. Excellent. Eric Mouquet, if you don't already know, which I'm sure you do, is uh, the guy behind Deep Forest. Uh, they've got a new album coming out. Uh, it's kind of a, 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 a kind of it's it, it's a crowdfunded project this time, whereas normally you've been signed to kind of major labels and done that whole kind of traditional uh, traditional route. Right, Eric? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was for a long time. I was a, a Sony artist. And, uh, you know, because of the evolution of the music business, everything changed. So I think it's more easy now to go direct with the fan base and to make a kind of crowdfunding project. Yeah, and that sounds like a, a very interesting way around of doing things. But let's kind of uh, rewind a little bit because obviously, you know, you've got a fantastic uh, musical history and heritage. I mean, you know, you started out the Deep Project Forest project. I mean, I, before then, I mean, the Deep Forest project before that started, w- were you kind of already into production and synthesizers and that sort of thing, or how did it start out for you? Yeah, yeah, I started to be in the synthesizer very, very young. You know, I had got my first move when I was uh, fifteen. Wow. Uh, and the project was when I was uh, 30. So, you know, 15 years of programming a synthesizer um, with the DX7, you know, all the evolution from the old analogic stuff to the new digital material, computer things. So I'm, I really start when it was the time with, we cut the, 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 the tape, you know, everything. Yeah. And uh, I discover in real time all the evolution of the computer, or the new synthesizer, everything, and the plugging, and everything. So yeah. So were you, long were, were you? Were, did you start out uh, classically trained, or were you kind of? Because uh, uh, France has a very strong uh, um, heritage of uh, electronic music, obviously with Ircam and all of those other kind of good things. And I guess probably around about that time, you know, Jean-Michel Jarre must have been a, 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 a kind of uh, doing his thing about the same time. So where where did you did you come from a classically trained background? No, no, I learned by myself. Um, I, on the way to school, there, there was a music shop. And uh, when I had time, uh, I, I really stopped there and I tried to experiment on the keyboard. And that's how I started, basically. And then, of course, playing with band, you know, uh, listening a lot of uh, vinyl at that time and uh, trying to understand how things are going. And really a self-made man, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, I always like that. So were you, uh, did you start out with kind of uh, tape uh, and then step sequencing and that side of things? What was the kind of route to, because obviously the music productions that you did uh, back when you started Deep Forest, uh, uh, you know, were uh, cutting edge and, you know, that side of things. But, you know, there was a big evolution. I'm guessing, like many of us, you may have come through the uh, the Atari route or whatever the French equivalent was. Yeah, sure, sure. Sure. Well, with Deep Forest, we, Deep Forest was in uh, 92. So in 92, we had already uh, all this Atari, Falcon, you know, all this uh, um, notator, you know, everything was already there. But when I started uh, before, it was, uh, I, my, my first uh, tape recorder was a TIC, uh, a tech, you know, oh, yeah, yep. TIAC, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it in English, but, uh, and uh, I got a, a Revox a B77, you know? Yep, I had and, one of those uh, too. Uh, so, <laughs> And uh, you know, they, they, we we learn how to make a, a record to to, uh, to 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 double track, you know, everything uh, to make a echo, and every- so it was a good school, you know. 
<laughs> Excellent. So, uh, um, Deep Forest is a very specific sound. I mean, it very much caught the kind of moment. I mean, you know, there was the the, the kind of the kind of slightly laid back beats of it. You know, which was in. in I, I hesitate to use the soul to soul kind of vibe, but that was that that in itself created a whole sort of genre of slightly ambient, more uh, more laid back kind of club stuff. When you yeah. first started out. The, the idea of marrying the kind of ethnic recordings, which is where you started from, and this was, was, was a very new thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's happened just by chance because uh, at that time we had uh, in France, we have a big uh, sh uh, record uh, store called FNAC. I don't know if you heard yeah, about it. FNAC. Kind yeah. of your power tower, you know, tower record, you know, something like that. And um, they had, at that time, they have a department with the ethnic world music. And I remember uh, with my friend Michel, because we started together, Michel Sanchez and I at the beginning, we bought some CD uh, because we were just curious about new new music. And uh, one day in the studio, we put the CD on the CD player and we played the music around. And it came like that. You know, we saw, we, we felt the magic of it. And that was the first time we had the, really the idea to, to make something around ethnic material using our synthesizer. So I'm guessing, I mean, the first, was it a case of the first thing you did, which a uh, sweet lullaby, uh, just, can I just play a little clip of that, just audio wise, just so you could, so uh, uh, people who perhaps are not as uh, experienced as us in the history might well recognise this. So this is the classic. That's the kind of flavour of the sound that that it happened. So you're saying that those sound were those sound was that the kind of first track that you worked on, or was was it an evolution from that first moment into into that world? No, no. Um, I think uh, in the beginning you hear the water drum, you know, from the pygmy. So we we loop the water drum, and uh, it creates already uh, atmosphere. And uh, we had some uh, yodel from the pygmy Aka tribes as well. So it gives you a kind of a Ooh, yeah. you know, kind of vibe like that. And it was quite easy, you know, to add some chords and to try to make a melody around it with the flute. Um, yeah, it, it, it was not complicated to do. You know, we are just, the, we, 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 I remember we were in the studio and the music came very easily. And uh, the first album was, was like that. Every time we experiment with uh, ethnic or traditional sound, we are right, right in the moment, we have the, the right idea to put chords and to make rhythm around. And then, um, yeah, it so, was kind of uh, evident, you know, but I have to say something, you know, when I play this to my friend, uh, nobody understood it. And uh, when we went to, the, to some label, you know, in France, uh, nobody wanted to sign it. It was very special. And uh, I remember all my friends said, OK, are you sure what kind of music is it? You know, it was not evident, you know, to, to make it. Uh, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, so did you did you release it yourselves first before before getting to the label and then get label interested? As was so often the case back in those days, it certainly was for me as well. I, I uh, no the, I, the the thing was uh, one guy at uh, Sony at the time it was uh, CBS. Yeah, uh, one guy really loves uh, the album, and the guy wanted to make it, but um, the other guy from the production staff says, he said, no, no, no way, it's not, uh, we don't know, we don't understand this music. But this guy said, okay, let me try. And he, they said, okay, let's try it. And it started like that. So it was a really one guy who, who believed in the project. And uh, then when it goes to radio, it started to, be, to, to, to become very big, very quickly, actually. Uh, the, the first thing was, was in Australia. 
Ah, uh, in okay. Australia, they, they react the, as the very first time, and it become become num number one in Australia. So uh, when the major companies saw that, when Sony saw that, of course, they started to push the promo. And then we get more audience uh, in USA, in Europe. But Europe was quite the late, you know, first was Australia, then USA, and at least Europe. That's interesting. I always remember France when I was doing um, pop work was the slowest market to build because of the way that the charts work and the fact that there was a skew, wasn't there, to try not to to try and encourage uh, uh, indigenous artists, French artists, yeah. which is surprising yeah. that it, it took well for you guys, I guess. So I, I'm curious to, to to think about the technology that you were using back then. I mean, were you working with samplers or do you lay them off to tape? I mean, how did you put that stuff together? At that time, it was a sampler. You know, it was a, uh, probably the Hakai S900. Ah, okay. Yeah. So yeah. It, uh, I remember we, we the, 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 the big button, you know, was so so tired, you know, <laughs> because we, we have to, you know, with a small window, but a small screen. But uh, we, we spend a lot of time yeah, to, to, to loop everything in Akai, yeah. I guess, did you have to lay things off to tape as well? Because obviously the uh, Akai memory was very limited in the S900 and the S950. It wasn't until the S1000 that we got stereo and, you know, up to 15 seconds at a go. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, we, we use a lot of floppy disk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, uh, we... we uh, I remember we had, uh, Michelle and I, we had like six or seven Akai, you know, to just to, to be able to store and to, to play all the loop at the same time. Ah, okay. I see how I see how that worked then. So you were able to have multiples. And what about in terms it, of this? Sorry, it was, it was mainly a MIDI setup at that time. Yeah, yeah, it would have been, wouldn't it? Uh, what about that in terms of the, the sort of supporting instruments, the cast, if you like? I mean, were you utilizing kind of analog instruments back then or because i mean right then that, that would have been right in the middle of the m1 and all of that sort of period of time where you know that sort of stuff was ubiquitous and every it was almost tyrannical wasn't it that you had to use the sounds of the now and that would that was down to the beats as well so you kind of had once you once you were known for that kind of groove you sort of stuck with it weren't you i mean did you were you using what sort of instruments were you using back then uh, I think one of the main um, we have two main sources for the for the global sound of the press. One was the the Roland uh, GD eight hundred. Okay, you know, yeah. The, the, yeah. Flute, yeah. The, the flute is coming from this synth. Right. Uh, a lot of pad was done with the Roland as well. Uh, we use uh, the Korg um, uh, WS. Yep. Um, I think uh, probably probably South Korg M one. I'm sure. Um, my DX7 as well. I have I had a lot of sound from the DX7, and um, yeah, basically you know all the scene from that time. You know we use it. Excellent. So I and guess the, 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 the drum was was a I think was a old. I mean not an old but a, a lean lean drum. Right. Yeah. Ah, okay, interesting. Did, yeah. So I, I'm guessing when you must have got because when you're a sampler, you 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 were perhaps not using so much of the looping and that sort of things. Perhaps till later, because I'm sure I heard in later recordings there's there's some yeah. of those sort of classic beats that everybody around that time was using, and I guess that must have been samples, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember as I was uh, spending a lot of time in the club at that time. It was a time of uh, uh, acid music in Belgium because I was in Belgium at that time, and uh, it gave me a lot of idea to 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 experiment with sound and to loop on a single note, you know, to, to try to make a pattern. And, uh, yeah. Ah, yes. I remember there was, uh, 
there was a, a genre, uh, I think it was Belgian techno, wasn't it? A very specific, it was really hardcore, wasn't it? And uh, we always, yeah. we used to call it nosebleed over here. I don't know why, because it was just kind of incessantly, yeah, yeah, yeah. incessantly fast, yeah. <laughs> I, I was in the club at that time. <laughs> <laughs> so those are your roots there, right. So um, the other thing that's interesting, because obviously once you started down this path, I mean, was there then, what, did you... Was the when the track went out? Was the album ready to go, or did you then have a mad scramble to create the rest of it to go with it? It was a, it was more of a traditional route, was it? No, the, the album was was done in one time, you know. And uh, when the album was ready, it went to the to the record company and they released it. So uh, actually, it was a short album. If you remember it, it was uh, probably eight or nine nine tracks. You know, not so long. And. Um, yeah, it, 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 I, actually, we were really surprised, you know, Michel and I, to, to, to see the success of it, because we, we saw just a, a side project, you know. I was doing, a, at that time, a lot of recording sessions for French artists and uh, advertising, so my main job was not Deep Forest, was a, a session musician. Uh, I was going to ask how you managed to uh, accrue all of those uh, lovely instruments to play, but obviously, if you were already working in the industry... Then you know it was it, it, then then that's no, of no surprise. And was was there a kind of um, <coughs> excuse me? Was there was was there then pressure to find? Because presumably, when you sourced the ethnic kind of aspect to those that album, was yeah. that something that you found in one place, or were you starting to make your own field recordings and that sort of thing to kind of generate more? So it it was um it was a um a process. You know, for the first album. Uh, it was only the source was only the CD we bought from the music shop, and then uh, when the album was ready to release, of course we have to clean all the sample in yeah. the normal way. And uh, most of the CD was coming from a uh, UNESCO, uh, Okora Music, you know, all these labels who make a, um, a catalog of ethnic things. Very very beautiful music in this catalog. And then, because of the success of the first album, then we were able to travel because we got more royalties, and uh, we wanted to start to record the material by, my, by ourselves, Michel and I. So we started to travel a little bit. Uh, the second album, Bohem, was still, I will say, half and half. Half of the sample from the CD library, I mean from the Okora UNESCO library, yeah. and half for our own recording uh, tape. Uh, I bought at that time a small DAT, portable DAT with a stereo mic, and I started to record it, you know. And the more the, we, we went, we, we go to the Deep Forest production, the more we use our own music. Um, and recently, the, 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 all the album I do now, there is nothing from the CD. It's a musician coming here, or me recording musician outside. So it, it's just an evolution. So were you taking like a kind of uh, portable writing rig on the road? So you're going, or were you sort of compartmentalizing? One part of the process would go and record, and then the next part you'd bring it back and work on it, or were you working on it in situ sometimes? Because I know that was quite challenging, because obviously portable in the 90s is not the same as portable as it is now, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, I, I will say the, the third album, Comparsa, was really like that. We, we traveled first for six months, um, to um, Cuba, Belize, Mexico, Madagascar, you know, different places to, to, to collect. We wanted to collect a lot of material. And then we went in the studio for another six months, eight months to, to, to compose the music. This was for the third, third album. And later, because it was 
probably more easy to meet people. You know, internet was coming, uh, a lot of new things, you know, happening in the for everybody. So it was much much more easy to to contact the people through internet and to yeah. to meet to meet them in the studio. So it, and now you know, when I do an album, um, uh, I most of the time I invite people to come here. So it's it's much more. Uh, it's not as we go in the in the countryside with the mic, you know, it's not like that anymore. Now, I, people coming here, and I, I record them in my studio. Right. Okay. And do you have in that part of the process now? Do you have an idea of what you want from them, or are you trying to kind of get them to be themselves and maybe sing some traditional folk tunes or whatever? Yeah, I, 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 want, I always want something from the the traditional skills they have, you know, from their culture, because uh, um, I'm interested to share different influences in my music. So. Um, the basic, we always start by improvisation. Right. We put the instrument here in the studio and we, we start to make music. And something something happens all the time. That's an interesting way because, I mean, I think, you know, it, there's always been, there's this, there's this very definite divide in electronic mm-hmm. music, isn't there? There's this sort of meticulous yeah. studio-based production and kind of polishing and, you know, I, I, I kind of use the sort of editing. When, you, when you've been editing hi-hats for too long, you know perhaps you're, you, you, you should walk away for a bit. And yet you're, yeah. you're still using the kind of the notion of the, the, the moment of spark, the spark of inspiration to use that as the way to build things. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I also noticed there's quite a lot of, because uh, now, I mean, moving forward a little bit further, obviously, you know, you're the, the, the new album Evo Devo, um, which has a lot of, what it sounds like, I'm going to quiz you about this, a lot of analogue instruments in there, because presumably when you're working back through your timeline of working, you know, most of the time you you would be using the current crop of whatever the electronic instruments were, which weren't necessarily analogue at the time, right? So did you make a transition? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I had my period a few years ago with everything was plugging, you know. Yeah. My studio was really clean. I have just a a big master keyboard, you know, 80 notes <laughs> and a screen and everything was in the box. And, um, and it was nice, you know, it was, uh, uh, you have this feeling that you can control everything. You can store your preset. And so it was very easy to work. But I always have my synth, you know, in the background. And uh, sometimes you just plug one and you are, and there is something magical about uh, all this machine I have around me. So step by step, I started to, to bring them back, you know, and, um, uh, and uh, one day I put my big wave, you know, you know the world of wave. Is yeah, yeah. Wave. Well, it's the classic. Isn't it? it features in the video, it's which a, I was going to. It's a dream synthesizer. So I, I, I say, okay, I should put it in the middle on the just in the middle of the speakers and try to to, to see what I can get with this. And I was so in love. So that is there, you know, and I put all my synth around. The desk is on the side now. It's just a, a, a keyboard studio. <laughs> it's not a producer studio anymore. It's a keyboard studio. <laughs> I've seen I've seen that before actually. Where you know there was a pit, there's a period there's a, there's like a graph, isn't there? Where you kind of get to the point where you you make you know you make some decent money out of a, a, an album release, and you think I need these kind of things, and you buy maybe a big analog desk because everybody loves yeah. that sort of sound, and then gradually yeah. the analog desk gets more and more things put on it. So yeah. that you can't actually see the analog desk. It's maybe just a pair of faders or, or a few subgroups, <laughs> and it becomes a, a kind of summing mixer to a degree. So you're working in and out of the box at the same time. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I will show you, you know, the, the maybe make a panorama. You know, the, I don't know if you see the Euphonics desk over oh, there. Oh, okay. Right, yep. 
your phonique is just there and uh, there's yeah, no light on it it's in the it's in the shadows <laughs> oh so, sorry yeah and uh so uh it's basically a, a mixer you know with all the fader at zero db yeah and the scene are going there so and it's a sum a sum uh, mixer because uh, everything right. goes to the, to the to the master bus and uh it gives something um special you know it's not like you sum in the computer and um and around me you know it's uh, all my all things you know Oh, um, uh, so what have we got at the top there? Is that a Moog, uh, multi-Moog? Yeah, it's a multi-Moog. This one uh, has some modification. Uh, you know, the multi-Moog has a kind of, uh, at the beginning, it was a, a sensor, you know, kind of pressure things. Yeah. But I had to, to a guy in Paris to modify it and to put this uh, little pot here so I can control the pressure uh, as a CV, you know, controller. Ah, okay. So it, it, it's much more, it's open, really open the scene. Um, you can um, the the pulse modulation. You can control it and uh, have a regular pulse. You know, instead of just pushing it. Um, yeah, it's really really nice modification. Oh, that and, sounds uh, good. They look yeah, like. Um, few, is there a few sems over there? What are the what are, what are those there? The white ones. I, they look a bit like Oberheim's, but I can't tell from here. I have two um, OBMX, Oberheim OBMX. Right. Uh, six voice. So it's one of my favorite synths as well. Uh, a lot of people hate this synthesizer. I don't understand why, because it's really uh, it's really nice synthesizer with a very beautiful sound. And uh, when you try to program it and uh, you make something uh, with the matrix, the, the key is the matrix. Uh, you can program almost. You can route almost everything to everything, and it starts to be very beautiful. Ah, okay. Uh, and then obviously you've got the wave behind you there, uh, which are notorious. Yeah. They're, they're notoriously temperamental to keep going. Have you have you been able to kind of keep yours alive okay, or does it sort of require a bit of work every once in a while? This one was okay, still alive. I changed the <laughs> I changed the floppy disk. You know, I put a USB drive. Fair, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> that like, seems like an essential modification. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's much more easy you know, to 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 deal with your program. And uh, here I have, a, I don't know if you can see it, an Andromeda. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nice analogics, analog synth as well. And yeah, basically my, my new album was done with this, you know. Um, just flew plug a few plugins for the reverb and delay. Yeah. But uh, basically it was only with this material. And well, the Bookla. So the Bookla. Ah, yeah. I thought I saw a book. Right. So what, what Bookla system is that? Is that a 200E? Yeah, 200E. It's not complete, just a few models. Few, few models. Um, I, I'm, I'm really new, you know, to the Bookla system, but uh, I really love it. And uh, so I start with few mod few models, and uh, probably it, it will grow. But uh, I need to learn step by step. <laughs> well, it's a very different. I mean, I don't know what the. the I mean, because I'm, I'm imagining, you know, with Music Concrete and those kind of uh, uh, um, building blocks in terms of French synthesis. Would you say the French synthesis is more uh, aligned with East Coast or West Coast in those kind of, if you're thinking about it in those sort of traditional American synthesis terms, or does it have its own kind of route? Because there aren't terribly many French synthesizers. I mean, Arturia, of course, but it's you know that's more in more recent times. I think, of, of course, Arturia is more is more like Moog. It's, it's East Coast, but uh, the, the the electronic music history. I mean, for the ear cam and uh, you know, is a concrete music. Is more related, in my in my opinion, it's more related to the to the West Coast. It's very experimental. I remember as a child going to uh, 
the sense of Pompidou uh, um, when I was probably uh, 10 or 12, I was just starting to get into the thought of synthesizers and walking around and seeing the, the, the Urcam signs and things and just feeling really yeah. kind of like, oh, I'd love to see what's behind some of those closed doors. Do you, do you find, I mean, because obviously yourself, you know, you are an established French electronic music artist. Is there... Is there a, a kind of um, support from the, the, the governmental support? Because I know that um, in France, they're very uh, strong on funding ERCAM, or certainly have been. And that's really unusual to have an actual support from the government for a actual electronic music. I mean, it's a very unusual situation. Is that still the case? Uh, I never get any single <laughs> euro, <laughs> unfortunately. No, uh, no, I have a friend at ERCAM, you know, uh, Frédéric Rousseau. Maybe you heard about him. Uh, is uh, he, he was um, for a long time he was uh, in the team with Vangelis right. and with Shelja as well and now he's in charge of the development of new technology in IRCAM so a lot of you know the, the Flux plugin you, you heard about it I've heard of it uh, I, I, I remember there was a, a system I, 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 it escapes me now what it was that they were developing it was a software system wasn't it for a long yeah, time they, they developed some reverb some um, some uh, matrix to put the surround in, in a binaural, uh, yeah. a lot of things, very interesting uh, development. And um, but um, I have to pay for my plugging in France, the government, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Don't give me for free. That would be interesting. Plug plugins, plugins via social security sort of payments. That would be, yeah, <laughs> we'll pay you in uh, NFRs for uh, for ERCAM plugins. That would be an interesting concept. <laughs> uh, yes, unlikely, I agree. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a message from our sponsors. We want to say thank you very much to Isotope for their continued sponsorship of the podcast. And, of course, uh, they want to tell you a little bit about Ozone 7. Uh, shortly after this insert, we'll be giving you details of the next competition. Obviously, uh, as this isn't a live show, I can't announce the winner, but we'll give both winners next week. So stay tuned. Produce rich, full, professional-sounding tracks with the critically acclaimed mastering tools in Ozone and Ozone Advanced. Now, the latest Isotope innovations in Ozone 7 bring modern and vintage processing to the forefront of the music production experience. Updated for Ozone 7, Ozone's highly regarded maximizer features a brand new frequency-specific IRC4 algorithm that delivers transparent mixes with less pumping and distortion. Use it to smooth out an unwieldy mix or tame the kick drum peaks without affecting the vocals. The Dynamic EQ, now in both the advanced and standard versions of Ozone, lives and breathes with your audio, giving you more effective control over your sound without coloring your entire mix. Harness the precision of an equalizer and the musical ballistics of a compressor in one integrated processor. New for Ozone 7, vintage-inspired processing puts nostalgic tone at your fingertips to bring the creative color and character of analog hardware to your digital recordings. Isotope are giving you the chance to win a copy of Ozone 7, their excellent mastering suite. Uh, all you have to do is tweet the following. We need you to tweet the hashtag MixGlue and the hashtag Ozone 7 to at SonicState and at Isotope Inc. That's the hashtag MixGlue and the hashtag Ozone7 to at SonicState and at Isotope Inc. Uh, in next week's live show, we'll be able to bring you the results of last week's and this week's show competition. Anyway, thank you very much for watching. Back to your interview. So moving forward now, you know, I, is it all right if I play a little clip of um, the uh, Sing With The Birds? So let me just, because all right if I play a little clip of that, I'll just play this in. This is basically the 
this is the, the 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 poster track that you've used to make for the video to to uh, to trail the whole project. And this is shot obviously in your studio. not going to play it all i'm going to encourage people to go and search that out for themselves now the first thing obviously you know in videos like that when you're playing are those the instruments that are playing those sounds because there are some really kind of quite bold analog style uh, sounds at the yeah. at the front of that what is it that you're using there's the and they're really in your face that you're not yeah. shy about putting them there was was that um <clears throat> excuse me what 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 was that the, there's the low there's the low sound the do 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 and then the odd the, the low bass is the Obey Mix. Ah, okay. And the, the very bright, you know, sparkling song at the beginning yeah. is the Obey Mix as well. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And uh, the pads, uh, of course, are the, the waves. Right. So at the beginning, with this, you have only these two things, you know, and um, and it's really analog, you know. And uh, the... I, the the reverb is a um, Eventide H three thousand. Ah, okay. I see you've got an H nine pedal there, which is uh, something that is almost impossible to switch off once you start using it, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This one is on uh, the Andromeda because you know the the FX on the Andromeda are, are not so great, so I just bypass the FX and put uh, this Eventide on the Andromeda. And the the wave and the the wave is going through another Eventide. Uh, ultra harmonizer right and the the obmx is just going to a lexicon you know a pcm 90 you know yeah very simple reverb it looks and, like uh, it looks like what you're doing there is so you you tend to, are you dedicating certain instruments to certain uh instrument stroke signal path so you know that's the sound yeah. that yeah okay yeah exactly yeah 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 and i i organize my uh, my keyboard so i can play the music almost in one one track, I, of course, not the overdub, but I can play everything in real time. Ah, okay. And you record those discreetly, presumably to separate stereo mixes or what have you, right? So, the, um, a, a lot of track in this album was done as a. It, it starts with improvisation, and uh, I I just uh, put the, the 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 computer and the, my uh, step sequencer. And I have a cyclone, ah, so they are okay. the same tempo. And I start to record like a tape recorder. Right. And uh, sometimes it's just stereo track. So I, I need to make the right balance with everything. And uh, I play with it. And when it's recorded and when I like the track, then I can produce later and add overdub and everything. Uh, cut, edit, whatever you want. But, uh, but most of the time it's just a, a big improvisation. And it start. I start the, the song like that. And when you are in because I noticed there's quite a lot of piano in here. Um, you know, at, at, at certain elements of piano. Are you? Uh, do you start there, or do you tend to find a signature sound that you think, oh, that's that sparks the idea for a track, or does it maybe come from the ethnic sample? I mean, or is it always different? Uh, it's different because uh, you know this album took like um, almost uh, six or eight months. You know, to 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 get everything together. So. Uh, it's hard to say. Sometimes I go to the piano, I put the mic, and I have an ID. Um, it's I, there is no recipe here, really. 
Uh, I mean, in terms of the original idea, are you the sort of guy that wakes up in the middle of the night and mumbles into your iPhone with a kind of idea for a song, or do you tend to ha- does it tend to happen when you're in the environment that you make the music in? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm very lucky because this studio is in my house, ah. so I have to. Uh, over there is a kitchen, so when I wake up in the morning, I just take a coffee and come here, and everything is ready. So uh, uh, every time I have an idea, I can just come here and just experiment. And sometimes you have no idea for ten days, you know. It's but uh, uh, I spend I spend all my day here experimenting some new stuff. So um, yeah, it's 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 a long process. Okay, yeah. I mean, I can imagine it must be. I mean, do you and do you spend a lot of time working on a sound that would then maybe spark another riff? Because I mean, that's the thing I find when I'm, you know, if I'm reviewing a synth, which is an entirely different process. But te- what tends to happen is, I'll have a synth that I'm reviewing, and I'll find a sweet spot somewhere, and I'll develop maybe a little melody that works on that, and then by the end of the review, I can noodle something that has musical meaning. Yeah. I mean, do you find that that's a similar kind of route? Yeah, yeah, that's why my, my computer, you know, is always ready to record. I have always a stereo track ready to record. So when you get to the sweet spot, uh, you just record and improvise and uh, and save for another time, you know. So, um, yeah, it's exactly like that, yeah. And what, what, is, what is it you work in? I mean, because obviously the DAW is, for many people... It's the constant, isn't it? Because it's so difficult to switch between uh, recording and DAW environments. Uh, and perhaps less so if you're working more for in the moment because, you know, it's just the digital data then. What, what is it you're using? Um, now I'm using Logic. Uh, for a long time, at the beginning, I was using uh, Cuba- Cubase. You know? yeah. when, when I did Deep Forest a long time ago, it was Cubase. Uh, I have a period where I was using uh, Pro Tools. Yeah. And 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 now for maybe uh, six seven years now I'm 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 stick with Logic for the studio. When I'm on stage, uh, I'm all, I have all my keyboards, I, so I play live. But on the side, I have um, Ableton Live just to to trick the loop and to make uh, to to make the the, the the playback track you know on the on the side. Sure. So you are you do play live as well with all of this stuff? Yeah, yeah. Some um, not in the studio re- a lot, but on live, yes. Okay. I mean, on, on tour. And, and just sort of going back again to the Deep Forest side of things, because I guess, you know, that was very studio-based. Did you tour that as well? Sorry, did, did, did you? Did you, store, did you tour, like, the original, the first couple of albums of Deep Forest, or was that more of a studio? Yeah, pro- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm touring a lot, you know, especially this, uh, this past four years. Uh, I, I, I tour a lot. I, I, I was lucky to have... Um, a, a, a couple of musicians, a bass player, his name is Alun Wad, is a, a guy from Senegal, such a great musician. And um, I, I have all my friends, you know, and, and we are so happy to, to meet and to go on stage all together. And uh, what, what we try to do on stage is just to be like, a, um, I will not say jazz band because uh, it's not the style of the music, but the spirit of the jazz is there. I mean, we, we improvise a lot. That, that's why I, I like to have uh, Ableton because I have my fixed pattern in Ableton. But you I can, can... Like I, I can uh, trick then, uh, you know, loop and, uh, and stop and uh, whatever you want to do. But with my musician, I'm, I'm improvising. So it, it gives something very alive. Oh, wow. This is sounding more and more like fun. Um, okay, I'm going to start playing a couple more tracks because there's some sounds in there that I really would like to identify. And I, but I have a I have a feeling you're just going to say it's all the OVMX. But let's see. Right. So the first one is uh, this one, which is track two. 
that. To me, sounds like a slide guitar, but not quite. Is it a slide guitar or is it a synthesizer? This one. Ah. It's a yeah. it is really I mean is that a patch that you kind of crafted or it, it just sort of came fell out of it I mean how I guessing you know this very well right you know the, the wave you can you can make your own wavetable you know that so mm -hmm. uh, I did a lot of wavetable and uh, one of the wavetable I did uh, when I was programming uh, with a very short uh, filter attack you know almost like a click and I was playing and I got this crack crack like ah, a like the plectrum yeah, yeah, like, like a plate, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's this beautiful instrument, you know. It's, it's not a complicated sound, it's just uh, probably uh, something like uh, a sign and uh, another one like uh, when you think an oscillator, you know, mm -hmm. on the sign and a very short um, uh, filter uh, attack. And that's right, it. I've got you. And, and a vibe, you know, a stereo vibe. Uh, in the on the VCA, that's it. It sounded like also there's just some really long language kind of almost filtering on the reverb as well. It was quite a complex sound. Is there something going on there? Yeah, it, it, this is uh, the uh, Eventide as well. Ah. You know, the Eventide is not, uh, you know, the wave, there is a auxiliary, auxiliary input right. and output. And uh, so the ultra harmonizer is going in the wave, into the wave, so you can modulate as well. Right. It's not like uh, an extra effect after the sound. The, the the harmonizer is going through the wave and goes through the VCA. Right, so you can shape it additionally. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. It sounds like a whole lot of fun. I was also going to ask you about it because the the, the um, do you are you do you work on all of this stuff alone or do you have people involved in the rhythm or engineering? I mean, how does that kind of tend to work for you? No, I'm just alone. Right, poor guy. <laughs> and what are you using for the beats? Because I mean, some of it's very sort of, uh, I would say, European dance influence, and some of it's just not at all. It's something completely different. Uh, the beat is just uh, MFB dance bar. Ah, okay. Yeah, so it's just basic uh, MFB dance bar. Of course, then I go to the uh, compressor and some EQ, but uh, basically it's just the MFB. And are you using um, drum machines a lot, or do you work? Do you prefer to program beats in the computer? How does it work best for you? Now, as a tons bar, I mean, it's just uh, I don't use the sequencer for the tons bar. The tons bar is just linked in MIDI to the circlon, right? And the circlon right. is my sequencer. I mean, my, my I, I I create my pattern on the circlon. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Next. Uh, I, this is track three, and this is, uh, I wanted to identify the sound, right, let me see if I've got my buttons right. I've just downloaded a new piece of software that allows me to load clips and kind of edit them to the point where I want to play, so I don't have to find them. Uh, uh, but I'm only using it for the first time today. <laughs> this is, uh, this beautiful bass, slow pulse width, it sounds like. Givatar. And there's some piano in there. Yeah. So that sound just made me feel very nice. And I wondered what it was. <laughs> it's your OBMX. <laughs> right, okay. I, I'm, I'm, I am not at all familiar. I'm going to have to do a quick search on the o OBMX because I'm I really... I told you it's a fantastic synthesizer. Let me have a look. Yeah. OBMX, right. Vintage, I'm yeah. going to synth Vintage Synth Explorer. Right. Okay, this is what it looks like. Okay. 
let's have a look. Ah, uh, well, so, so, sometimes I, I I see on the on some uh, different internet site, you know, there is a lot of hate for this synthesizer. Right. I don't know why, because probably because you know the presets are really not good at all. Really, it's really bad. When you uh, the first time I got it, you know, the first time when you get a synthesizer, you just switch and you you explore the preset, and they are really really bad. And uh, it took me a, a, a little time, you know, to to understand and to program it. Because um, I don't know, you know, it's Don Bukla designed it at the beginning. Oh, and, okay. Uh, and uh, for example, if you go to the filter button, uh, if you go to the for the front panel, Let me just it doesn't go it. from zero to full. You know, it it's like something bizarre, <laughs> and you need to program the matrix to to make the the filter full open and full close. And if you don't do that, you think the filter is really weak. Ah. So there's a lot of things like that you, you can do. You can even put a double matrix, a double modulation on the filter, and you have much more further, you know. It's very strange how it's built, but it's very when you know this, it's very efficient. Well, that sounds like a top tip there, Eric. That sounds brilliant. Um, <laughs> and uh, again, the, 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 the beats in there, the, the hi-hat sounded very synthetic or analog. What was, you, was that again the trans bar? Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I use a, a few uh, instruments on this album. And do you think was that a conscious thing? Do you, when you're working on a piece of work, do you try and kind of go right? This is my band, if you like. This is my sound palette. I just would like to try and stick with this. Obviously, all my the instruments I want to use with this, rather than just go. I can have everything I want. Let's just go crazy. Now this time I wanted to use only this because, uh, as I told you, I put all my analog back around me. So I need to reorganize my workflow. Yes, um, yes. The, the, and it's very important, you know, to, to have a, a good workflow so you can be creative and not always looking how to do that. So um, with this setup right now, I can play, as I say, everything almost in live situation. And the, the, the computer is just a, a tape recorder, basically. So uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stick with this configuration. But it's so rich, it's, you can go so deep when you start to, to program your own sound that it's not a limitation at all. Right. And do, is that an approach you take for each body of work? Do you kind of try and design a slightly different or new workflow for each one so that you've got, so that's what defines the difference as well as obviously your own creativity? Yeah. And um, is that something I do all the time is just probably just the opposite. I try to reproduce the same sound on different synths. Ah, okay. And doing that, it's like I, I feel it's like uh, uh, it's like in a classical orchestra, you know, symphonic orchestra, where you have solo violin, uh, quatuor violin, I mean, uh, uh, eight violin or sixteen violin, um, and when you produce, let's say, a single square uh, pulse pad, yeah. Uh, if if you do it on Andromeda, almost the same on Wave and almost the same on the on the OBMX. You will have this kind of square pulse wave. You recognize it, but they are all different. And in the mix, they are taking different stage, different place in the in the mix. So that, that's how I work. And then I adjust everything uh, so according to. Is that how is that how come your pads always sound so massive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very <laughs> okay. You're giving away far too much here, I feel. But that that's a brilliant, uh, that's a brilliant idea. I must try that. Okay, um, right. I'm on to the next track. Let's see where I am now. I've got. Uh, that, oh yes, this is interesting. The way that you use the filter on this, I'm very curious about this as well. 
This is uh, Ome's song, I think I pronounced that correctly. And what interests me about this is the very specific harmonic movement in the filter that becomes part of the melody, or it's not just the drone, it's got a very cyclical uh, feel to it. I listened to that for ages, actually. Uh, I'd better stop. But So uh, tell me about that. Is that OBMX as well? <laughs> uh, so, no, no. Uh, so, um, the <laughs> well, no OBMX in this one. Uh, the, the, the percussion, like a bongo, of yeah. course, it's a book. Yeah. You know? Ah, the right. And that is that. Is that like so? You're for the <laughs> And what is that? Is that the low pass gate where you're pinging them? Is that how that works? Because I'm yeah, very yeah. unfamiliar with with East Coast stuff. West Coast. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, the, the the mode when you put uh, in a. Um, um, it's I don't know the name in English. Um, okay, it's, it's probably the low low pass, but uh, uh, there is a name. Um, sorry, I forgot it. Uh, vac vactrol filter, ah, okay. you know. Yes. Vactrol gives it this sound. It goes like a almost acoustic thing. So, so when you put a, a very snappy sound through the vactrol with a short attack and short release, you got this snappy bongo. So, um, I, I started this song like that. Then I put uh, the wave, you know, all the in the background harmonic, not the sparkling uh, sequence, but the right. background uh, right. sequence. It's from the wave. And it's a wavetable I created, and I just scan the, the wavetable in a you know, with a LFO. I don't remember if the, probably the LFO is sync as well on MIDI, so everything is moving at the same time. And on the top of it, uh, you have uh, the the DSI Pro 2, you know, from Deathsmith. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just a sparkling sound, and I move it. Uh, I move the filter a bit, and I play the keyboard accordingly to the harmony I want to, to, to have. So everything was created in live situation. So that, that kind of, it almost sounds like you're tuning the filter. It's with that sort of, yeah. that, that's wavetable then, is it? That, just that scanning of those harmonics the, the, at the very beginning? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you move a little bit, you know, you, you and so I, I don't remember, but probably, uh, because sometimes it's very simple and old, you know, filter. So uh, probably uh, at the end, I edit a bit, so I can have a can I can have a, uh, re reproduce a pattern, wow. which is make it makes it make it more musical at the end. I've got you. Oh, this is interesting. All oh, right, okay. I've got another. I've got another one. Um, this one is called Tibet. Now, let me see. This is uh, what's the, the yeah the opening sound. I was interested in this. There's a lot of kind of modulation randomization going on there. A lot of movement going on. Is that all the same synth at different registers or are no. they di right? Okay. Now the, the the very first sound you hear, uh, actually this is a, a plugin. Ah. Uh, I have to <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that, but you're right. This is a plugin, and so uh, the first yeah. one is. Let me think about it. I think it's a, a circle. Circle plugin, you you know this synth? Yes, I think are they I the Irish developers, I think. Circle synth. I think I've heard about that. Let me have a look and see if I can bring up a web page there. Yeah. Okay, and that's the yeah, that circle oh no, that's not really gonna circle plugin synth. 
Let me see if yeah, I can find so it. It's, pro it's probably uh, when I when I when I demo it, is I it probably found this, this 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 preset and I trick it. This one and circle. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Ah, okay. Exactly. And uh, but uh, when you hear the the bass note, boom, boom, yeah, this is your yeah. BMX coming in. Okay. I've, I'm seeing a common theme uh, um, here. It, it really seems like you've really got inside the OBMX and kind of made it, because it has the same notion of the sound in the way that the, the, the modulation is, is enveloped effectively and is faster and slower, but it's a different sound. Right, okay. On the OBMX, you have um, four envelopes. You, of course, you, you, need to, you need to keep one for the VSA, but, uh, I mean, you have three... Yeah. Um, envelope to modulate and they are loopable so uh, like, when was this made because it sounds actually pretty advanced in terms of these are the sort of things that we're seeing now in modern sense and we're thinking oh this is you know this is new stuff but obviously it's not let me see there's probably going to say on my uh, um, obmx page i've got here no don don Buchla is a is a genius you know <laughs> so many say let me see when did it come out i've got this here so this is the uh polyphony lfo when was it released specification uh, 1994. So it's quite late, I suppose, for for yeah, OB yeah. stuff. Yeah, would that that would have been after the Matrix 1000? Would have been uh, was it one of the last things to come out from Oberheim? Uh, Matrix 12, no. Matrix 12, Matrix 6, maybe. Yeah, okay. Perhaps so. Yeah. Anyway, I, it's, I, 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 yeah, yeah. I think they, they did an uh, OB 12 later, but it was a VA. It was not an, a pure analog. Right. Mm. And you know, at the end of this song, Tibet, uh, you have this analog chords, uh, which is the OBMX as well. And uh, I, I just resolve the chord as a major chord at the end. I might and, be able uh, to play that. Is it this bit? This is very, very, very late. No, the third, the major third, third, is a bit out of tune. It's not a perfect third. Uh, so that's lovely. No, that's lovely. It's, it's got a, th yeah. there, there is, I mean, just listening to that, it, you know, as in, in, in solo, there's, there's a, a vangelisness about it, it that, that, that sort of brassiness. I mean, are you using the, I guess, are the filters in the OBMX, they do that two-pole, they're two-pole, are they? There is two filters. One is a leader. Yeah. MOOC type of filter and another one is the same filter right so uh, kind of over one so I think what you hear at the end is just the same yeah uh, it's, SCN, got a, you know, with it's got a iPad. more of a kind of pointy yeah narrow yeah that's right yeah. oh excellent right um, so <laughs> let's see right there's one more track here that is uh, I wonder that sing with the birds which obviously we've we've gone through there uh, and so the the idea let me just go to the uh this is the Evo Devo site. So basically, you are uh, f basically looking to to do a kind of. It's almost like pre-release in the in the same way that old old school record labels would go out and they'd do pre-sales to shops, and then they'd know how many to print up, and they do that. It, it, it sort of feels like a little bit that you're this this model almost equates to that. So you basically get people to uh, pre-order, and then you could get them the stuff. It seems pretty straightforward. Is that the sort of model that you're thinking about? Obviously, there's lots of other bonuses there as well you do. 
Yeah, I, I, I had two options. You know, the first option was just to release uh, digital and um, probably found a deal with Amazon for physical things and uh, just to let the CD just go like that. Uh, another idea was to try to, to, to involve the fan base uh, I, I have on, fa on Facebook. So uh, I saw a lot of uh, crony projects. I saw a lot of sites like Indiegogo, you know, yeah. Kickstarter. And pledge, and I, I I went to London to meet the people at Pledge, and uh, first of all they like the album, which is important when you want to work with a team. Yeah. And uh, we we decided to 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 work with them because um, I was looking for a new way to promo my album, a new way to introduce not just to release it in the in the store and wait, but uh, the, a way to to involve the people, uh, to 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 support my 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 work. So we started with uh, like a traditional campaign. Uh, I mean, in the, the next months, we will make something more like a uh, like a remix con contest. You know, uh, I will try to I will put the stem of a, a song uh, available so people can download it and make music with it. Uh -huh. We will release the, the remix things, so it will be something. Um, I want something more uh, in terms of communication with the fan base. I received so much message on my, on my Facebook that uh, it's important for, for me to, to, to be in touch with the, with the people. Yeah, I think that's, a, I mean, and it's a good way. I mean, I guess if you're established, it's a much more sensible way of doing things. You can directly uh, uh, interact with your fan. I, I've done, I was talking to another artist recently and they said it's kind of really liberating to be able to do yeah, that. Exactly. I mean, I guess that the the other danger of doing it this way is obviously the internet generation are incredibly impatient. So, is there? Do you find that there's pressure now to finish up and release it, or are you kind of done, and you're just waiting to the to, until yeah, you know, the, the campaign's the done? Album, the album is done. Uh, the only thing I I uh, I, uh, I was not expecting when we st when I started because I wanted to make a, a vinyl release as well. Right. And uh, the the album you you have to you have to be 19 minutes on each face. Yeah. And which is complicated because the album is too long. <laughs> so I had, I had the choice to remove one or two track, or I have a choice to make a double cut vinyl. Right. But I choose a double cut vinyl. So uh, I'm working now on the extra song for the vinyl and uh, it's almost done you know it's just a question of mastering now ah okay and presumably are you going to be touring this as well when it when it's when it comes out i mean do you think that there's that traditional route is still available because i mean obviously lots of the way that the music business is set up now i mean touring is more is often more about back catalog than promoting current product yeah, you you have, you always have to 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 play your classic song. You know, I, if I if I go on stage, I have to play Sweet Lullaby. Of course, people want to hear it, but uh, um, I I try to play um, like sixty percent of the new material and forty percent of the classic song. All right. Okay. And that must be. I mean, what's what are you taking out rig wise? So you say you take uh, Ableton, which allows you to move the arrangement around a little bit, and be a bit yeah. more informal with the with it and, and move stuff around. And is that kind of it? I, I mean, because the other the other um, obviously the the real pressure, particularly when touring, is to make the footprint of the travelling circus, yeah. as it were, as small as possible. So are you are you mixing on stage, or are you are you have it? You have front of house. I mean, how does that work? So every, everything uh, is in, um, I put all my sound, all my, all my sample, everything, in two computers. I have two uh, MacBook Pro where everything is inside and I use it uh, main stage to right. split all the sound. Then when I go stage, I just need to rent keyboard, MIDI keyboard, 
Uh, basically, I rent uh, three keyboards, you know, one piano, 88, one six, you know. Yeah. And, and I, I get all my setup like that. So with only two computers, uh, one small, I, I use a limer. Ah, okay. Uh, to, You've still to, got to drive the, Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, uh, I'm driving the Ableton with this. Yeah. So it's, it's very light. I just travel with one suitcase in the plane and uh, it's really easy. Is the temptation, I mean, this is the other thing that I always find back, when, particularly when talking with artists who've had a, a, a long association with electronic music, you know, the current generation and all of us, you know, we are very romantic about the notion of analog synthesizers. But in reality, taking that sort of stuff on the road and, you know, using it is actually much more troublesome than sometimes it's worth. I mean, we know Jean-Michel Jarre does does that but he's got probably much higher budgets and is playing huge kind mm-hmm. of first stage mm-hmm. are you tempted to any any te- any temptation to take some analog stuff on the road as well uh, I, mean, I think it will be very hard you know it's very too expensive you know, to travel to take the plane with all the flight case everything it's too expensive now um no I, i'm afraid for the live situation we have to play with the computer with the plug and everything you know. it's much more safe um, well, no, yeah, I, I would not take the risk not to take my wave on stage. Uh, it's uh, yeah. difficult. <laughs> I know. A, a damp night at, at, at a, an outdoor gig, and uh, goodness knows what might happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, what's next then? So, uh, when's the actual the actual release of the album? When's it slated for? The actual date that we're going to be able to uh, get hold of it? I think it will be um, mid December, you know, beginning of, uh, I mean, between 10 and 15, 20, before Christmas anyway. Okay. And people can find that on, uh, as I say, on Pledge Music, uh, pledgemusic.com, and the project's Deep Forest, that's one word. Uh, and also, you've got a big presence on Facebook. And, you know, th- do you find that there's more t- of your time spent service? Because, you know, in previous, you know, iterations of the record business, it would be, Record company will contact your manager. Your manager would then say, "Yes, Eric is available for X, Y, and Z." Now it's almost like you have to give your, give almost one hundred percent access to all of your time to kind of send this stuff yeah. out. Do you can you manage that okay? Do you find it's it's intrusive or do you find it it's more fun? No, uh, I, th- I I I think it's it's time consuming because you have to spend um, at least one two hours every day on internet just to 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 answer the message if you want to keep the good relationship with the fan base and uh, so yeah it takes time but uh, i try to 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 do that sometime in the morning and uh when it's i mean i i work i waking up very early when it's 10 in the morning then i go to the studio and uh, i switch i i just don't go to the computer until uh, late you know right so you compartmentalizing it is, is a yeah. good yeah. yeah oh okay Eric, it's been an absolute honour to talk to you. I'm just thrilled that we've been able to uh, spend some time with you. You've been very generous with uh, telling us how you just how you got some of those sort of things. So the album Evo Devo is going to be available soon. You can go to Pledge, like we say, to actually uh, pre-book your copy, and I thoroughly recommend it. I've been looking at uh, you sent me very kindly sent me a pre-release version, and I've been uh, listening to it a lot. So thank you very much, Eric. It's been a real pleasure. You're really welcome, Nick. Thank you very much. Okay, that's it for this uh, Sonic Talk special. Thank you very much for watching. As we say, uh, do look up uh, Eric Mouquet and Deep Forest. Uh, You'll be able to get hold of all his online coordinates uh, if you look. Easy peasy. Thanks for watching. See you next time.